on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. One last piece here on this before we move on. Um, what's one thing that the listener can be looking for, watching for? You've kind of given some like, you know, showing up, uh, you know, obviously skill set. What's one thing that they can be looking for? You just referenced like her ambition, her desire to be at the table. What is that like? How does that look different as opposed to just somebody who wants more money and is a little bit more transactional? And once they get the piece, they kind of just end up moving on anyway because they weren't really there for your your the seat at the table. Like, how did you know the difference, and what can they be looking for? What's up, everybody? I'm Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast. I'm your host. And I'm back today with Jay Agner here on the King stage. My brother, Jay, how we doing? Doing great, brother. How are you? Wonderful. It's uh, Wednesday. We were just discussing uh, what, what it feels like sometimes to wake up. And like, I thought it was Thursday this morning, you know, um, realize I had another day. <laughs> yes. It's always good to have another day. Exactly, man. I love that. Um, love your podcast setup. Um, sounds like we're going to have a great conversation because you know how to do this podcast thing. Uh, tell us what kind of business that you got, Jay. First of all, it looks like you know how to do it better. You've got great lighting and a background. You've got this thing down to a to a science, man. Uh, so my my uh, my job is uh, CEO of a software testing company JDAQA. So we work with custom software development companies. We work with SaaS companies, and we basically either are their QA team or we come in and kind of uh, the special ops for you know things that they can't test, right? So if there's about to launch a big application and they need fifty thousand people that are getting ready to use it, uh, we'll come in and help make sure that that it kind of can withstand that sort of load. Uh, we also do security testing to make sure that none of the bad guys can get any of your data. So um, that, that's kind of what I do in a nutshell. Yeah, you guys are the boots on the ground in the digital space, um, running through a bunch of potentially not closed loops. Yes. <laughs> You're trying to find the open loops, right? We're the last line of defense, man. That is, uh, you know, we try to make sure things don't explode in your customer's hands. That's our, you know, our, the, our, my favorite tagline. Yeah, I love that. Uh, tell us what kind of businesses, I mean, I'm sure you work with different types, but tell us kind of what you know, generally makes up uh, the clients that you work with. Yes. So it's either companies that develop software for other companies. So they're custom software development companies. Like we have some in Philly, some in New York that um, they make a bunch of different products for a bunch of different uh, companies. And we are their QA team across that portfolio. Um, we also work directly with SaaS companies, e-commerce, uh, real estate, um, you know, basically you name it in the SaaS kind of realm, you know, we have dealt with it before. Um, you know, as I, I love to tell people, you know, I, I don't, uh, I mean, no disrespect to them when I tell them that, you know, we've probably seen it before, right? Like nothing that they're making today is, is going to completely blow my head off that I've never seen before. So we've, we've basically sure. been in every vertical, um, and doing an agency like we do, um, you know, you see a lot of different things. So, so we've just about every vertical, every industry we've, we've been in. Yeah. It's almost as if, you know, you have the grand perspective and, and really any application, what you're saying, any, any sort of software piece that you guys have tested, they all kind of fit into a certain number of buckets of generally, this is like this and yep. uh, we know how to do it. And I, I think pretty much every business kind of operates like that generally, right? Like, we kind of know like, okay, my customers are going to fit into these four buckets or whatever. And what that should allow us to do is just get really honed in on those yeah. things. Has that been the case for you guys? We get, I mean, when you kind of group people together, even though they're completely different industries? 100%. Yeah, and I totally agree. I mean, it's it's everybody likes to think they're super unique. And, and I mean, they are to some degree. But like you said, it at the end of the day, the job is a lot easier than a lot of people think because it's it's not – you know, finding these individual snowflakes, there's a common thread 
through just about every customer that you've ever had. And your job typically, uh, if you're going to be a successful business owner, is to find that common thread and, and that lets you target and then also hone your product better to serve those those customer types. So it's kind of just a feedback loop that keeps going, which, which is a, a fun place to be. Yeah, it's an interesting concept because uh, as an entrepreneur, do you find yourself desiring change. I know a lot of entrepreneurs, even myself, where I'm always trying to iterate and, and become unique and, and I want the next new, you know, flashy, cool thing. But when you have that reality that it's like, no, actually what I need to do is just these four things over and over and over again, and just get even better than I currently am and, and kind of forget about the rest that, that almost sounds like a, a not very exciting end. But what you're saying is that like, no, actually that's how you become a master. That's how you win. Is that, in essence, what we're putting together here? I think so. But I, I, at the same time, there are certain avenues in a business like marketing and sales that you can you can try things forever that are fun and exciting. I mean, that's basically that's right. my job at this point. You know, our operations layer and our execution kind of teams, they do work in a very, you know, patterned uh, set, of, set of execution steps. They do the same kind of thing for every client. But, you know, uh, I get the luxury to try different things and to do different marketing opportunities and do podcasts and to do, you know, different, yeah. just marketing's fun. And that's where I feel like the XP, you know, actual experiments come into play. Yeah. Um, but you know, the business operations, the day to day, if you can make that as mundane as possible, as far as like your steps to, from, you know, discovery to scoping, to contracts, to delivery and execution, and then kind of the customer retention piece, if that can all be the same, your job becomes a lot easier and it gives you the time to go out and do these other things and experiment. Yeah. You've, you've mentioned a couple of things here that I want to press on because not every entrepreneur talks like this. Um, and so for the listeners paying attention when, you know, they're thinking about creating systems, um, you've given us a really good idea of what can be systemized or maybe what should be systemized, but you kind of held off, you said sales and marketing, but even more so you kind of heightened marketing as being like this fun, you know, testing trials, like, you know, very colorful area of the business. Do you do you have a belief around a CEO spending time in marketing, or is that something that you know CEOs can hire out? What are your just thoughts on you being CEO and in the marketing seat? Um, I have, I don't like work, right? I don't like things that feel like work, and I'm a huge delegation evangelist. I think that any great entrepreneur should be a really good delegator. And, um, I enjoy the marketing side of things and I enjoy the sales side of things. And absolutely. Can you go hire marketing people? And do I hire marketing people? Absolutely. But is it something that I keep my hands in because I enjoy it? Yes. And the same thing with sales and trying new sales avenues and trying all that stuff is fun for me. And I did heighten marketing because, um, you know, making content is just, it's one of those things where you can certainly, the value isn't there for my hourly kind of rate for me to be doing some of these things. But if it brings me joy as a business owner to try these and say, Oh wow, we actually got a customer from trying this new tool or this new thing that's worth my time. Right. Because then I've created a new Avenue for me to delegate and hand off to somebody else and kind of run that to ground. If I find that contact marketing is great, if I find that LinkedIn automation is great, if I find out it's some sort of, you know, new sales mechanism is great. I'll help define that. And then I'll figure out how to hand that off to a team to kind of execute it on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I'm in 100% agreement on that. I think every CEO eventually ascends to the marketing seat. And even if they have a marketing CMO or, or some high-level executive, <clears throat> that, that pulse, in essence, is what you're saying, is probably the most important in the business. And it's ever-changing. To, to your point, that's the creativity of it. And that's kind of how most entrepreneurs are designed. Not every single one, but 
um, at some point, a CEO has to elevate their game to be able to see trends and be able to identify new opportunities, which is sales and marketing. So appreciate that perspective. I, I say some things, um, you know, there's, there's operators, you know, business owners that are operators and, uh, and they like that portion of the business and that's fine. Um, but it's tough to operate a business if you don't have any new customers coming in the door. <laughs> yes. So. Yes. Developing the operations layer is like the most underappreciated part of being a, you know, going from freelancer to solopreneur to entrepreneur to like real business owner. I think like that operations layer is so important and it's, it is like people are scared to let con control go and they're afraid yeah. to kind of hand some of that stuff off. But man, once you are out of the operations on a day-to-day -day basis, you just start to fly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, to your point uh, before that, it, it gives entrepreneurs a chance to be free and creative, which typically means go get new customers, go, go build those relationships, go do the things that you've probably been good at naturally, but you've been held back by the operations in the day to day, the mundane that you won't yeah. let go of. <laughs> right. Exactly. I want to know, Jay, like you, you have a, a unique business here. Um, and you obviously serve some unique clients, uh, got a great business, but, but what's your why? Like, yes, I, I can see, obviously you're an entrepreneur and you like to build, but what's the deep rooted, like what wakes you up in the morning? Usually my kids are the ones that wake me up in the morning. No, actually not really. I get up before them now. Just so I, I was going to say, is it early? So it's, I, I, I'm a 5 a.m. guy, so like it's, uh, I try to go. get before them. But um, I mean, yeah, the the obvious kind of you know boilerplate answer is my family. Uh, I have five kids and one on the way. And, uh, you know, it's it's my wife is incredible. And I, I mean, look. I'm never going to claim to be the perfect dad or husband, but I think just being a better person every day or trying to be and like hearing those things from your wife or your kids about, you know, the things that they did during their day. And just like, I don't know, I, my, my, my daughter said to me the other day, um, you know, I kind of, I, I'm not a business coach. I'm not going to claim to be, but I, my uh, brother-in-law is like trying to spin up a business and my, my seven-year-old daughter, she's like, well, She's like, you're always helping uh, Uncle Brandon with business. She's like, you're always telling him like suggestions and like things like that. And it just like, it made me feel great that like she's noticing that I'm helping, you know, somebody else. And like, that's like an exciting thing for me. So just constantly trying to provide for them and, and be like the man, you know, to some degree um, is yeah. it drives me, you know, and it's it's, you know, being physically fit and being mentally fit and being like financially sound, like all those things that you hear about growing up that, you know, successful people do. Um, I think that just, just doing that for them and then letting them see like, you know, hard work does pay off and, and, um, you know, have my wife be able to stay home with the kids is, was a big thing. So like just being able to be that provider, you know, yeah. maybe kind of a common answer, but it definitely is my driver. Yeah, actually you took it a, a slightly different direction than I think the common boilerplate, the boilerplate, um, uh, is, you know, you want to provide and it usually means, you know, house and nice things and, and all the more surface level stuff, but you, you went deeper than that. It was more of a, like, I want to be, like you said, you called it the man, but what underneath that, what it means is that like, you want to be who you're meant to be to them. You want to be right. the leader of the house. You want to lead your wife. You want to, you know, provide safety for her. You want to be able to do all these things for your kids. I mean, five kids with one on the way, like I, I have four. I thought I was uh, <laughs> leading the pack here, but I have to yield to my man over here. Um, there's a lot going on in your house and, and I think for guys or, or ladies, but that maybe either don't have kids yet or that are maybe working up to the, to the squad like you, it just, 
it becomes just a heavier and heavier, not like weight, like a, like, Oh my gosh, I have to carry the burden of a family. It becomes like more and more like real. Would you agree with this? Like, like, no, it's like, this is not surface level for me. These are like my children. This is my legacy. I'm like trying to build them. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, it's not a, it's not a, a well, I, I always tell people once, and you know this too, but once you go from two to three kids or two of them, more than two kids, you have to switch from man to man to zone defense. So like That's after right. you, after you make that switch, it just becomes like kind of, you know, controlling the chaos, uh, living in the chaos and kind of like being okay with it. And again, you know, I'm the last person on earth that's going to say I'm perfect at that, but yes, it's, it's kind of building up, um, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't say that they're my legacy, but I would say that, that there is a certain set of things you get to do on this earth and you have a certain amount of time on this earth. And I think if I can grow them up to be good contributing members of society, um, you know, I'll have left the world a better place than I found it. So that's kind of, you know, what I strive to do. That's cool. I'm a, a big legacy guy and you, you mentioned legacy there for a second. What, what is legacy to you? Yeah. I mean, that's it, man. It's, it's just, you know, the way I think of it honestly is that in however many billions of years, the sun's going to explode and the earth is going to be gone and all this stuff that's here on earth is probably not going to matter. Right. So like it's, it's providing uh, and raising kids that will hopefully be the future generation that can live, you know, move out into other planets and grow the, the rest of the universe and like keep the human race going. Right. It sounds very like, you know, spacey and, and literally. Um, but, you know, I, I it's um, the surface level stuff as you get older and as you know, like you have kids and stuff, like it starts to fade away. Yes, it's nice to have nice things and you want them to have nice things. But uh, yeah. I just want my legacy to be that. Um, I was better than my parents, you know, I was better than my dad and my family. And, and I wanted to, uh, my kids look back and say, you know, he cared about us. He spent time with us and, you know, they keep that legacy going themselves and kind of build their own successful life would be something I'd be happy with. Yeah, that's good, man. I want to know, um, <clears throat> a little bit of your story. You know, you said that, uh, you know, you've started this business, but what did you do before? Is a big part of it was getting your wife, uh, home with the kids. What, what, what did life look like before this business? Um, yeah, so I grew up in Virginia, the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, uh, kind of had to just figure out stuff to keep myself busy, which I think is where my hobby kind of passion came from. Like, I always have a million things going on. Um, sure. Went to school to make video games. Thought that was going to be the best thing in the world. That industry sucks. Uh, I didn't, and, you know, I, I went into it as a game tester for a while and then kind of branched out and did, you know, a bunch of different things. Um, but, uh, the direct genesis to this company was my wife was an overnight pediatric nurse and she was pregnant and she was like, it was crazy. And like, I mean, long, you want to talk about getting some perspective on life. It's like, go visit one of these places and watch, look at these like kids that are hooked up to machines that are like never going to leave. Like that's like yeah. a crazy thing to have to go overnight and do every night. So I, you know, I, I started looking out, I applied for Uber. Uber turned me down because my license was from Virginia still and I lived in Pennsylvania and like <laughs> I uh, was looking at overnight stock boy jobs at Walmart like to, to supplement the nine to five. I'm like, what do I do to make more money with the same amount of hours in the day? And then I went online. I found elance.com, which is now Upwork, you know, years later. Um, and I started doing contracts. I started picking up individual contracts. Um, I had a problem saying no to money and I tried to figure out, all right, if I have more contracts than I have hours in the day, that's a great problem to have. But what do I do with that? 
And uh, basically from that point, I started to hire people that I used to work with. My old boss I hired uh, to work with me and for me at, at another company. And, um, you know, we just kind of grew out from there. And I, I realized as soon as I, as soon as I, I mean, I still remember the moment very clearly from run up and down the stairs. I was so excited. I got, I figured it out. It was the, this company was going to pay me $50 an hour and I was going to be paying my guy 25. And I was like, I'm going to make $25 an hour and like not have to do anything. And I thought that was the craziest, you know, just thought to ever have. And, and it yeah. kind of just like exploded at that point. And now, you know, we have 60 plus people and we're, you know, three different continents. And like that little moment though, was the one where I realized like I can have other people work for me. There's margin involved. And, yep. you know, that was 50% margin. Now we're 60 to 80% margin. But like, we really, uh, that was the moment where I said, all right, this is a, this is a good idea. There's a business here. And it kind of just, you know, went off from there. Yeah. Love that. For the person that's listening right now, um, you know, that moment of, you know, I can charge 50 and I can pay 25 and I get to make 25 for nothing. It's, you know, it is a conundrum really. It's like, wow, this is pretty powerful. But the value in that is that you secured the client, you secured the person, you put the contract together and it's a, it's a higher level, um, you know, maneuver. It's a, it's a higher lever that you pulled. And so that it, therefore you get paid more and that's how business works. <laughs> so I appreciate you making, giving such a, a, a plain example on that. Um, I think that that's important for people to know as they begin to scale, that it's okay to do that because the, their value is in the scaling, right? And yes. That's what you were doing. My wife had the same thought. She was like, well, she's like, is this like even, is this, is this like, is this like ethical? Are you supposed to be? I'm like, this is how business works. Like this is every business that's ever been had ever. Like you, they make, yeah. there's a margin. That's why companies, you know, charge less than they pay their employees. That's just how it works. So yeah. that moment is important. Well, and that's why that guy worked for you because he didn't have a client. He had right. the skill, but he had no client. You had the client, but you wanted to be able to help two clients at once. And this is just, again, this is just how it works. And, and, uh, again, you scale it up depending upon the number of people you have obviously done a great job with that with 60, 60, uh, team members. What was a, a practical, um, just really good business decision that you made? Obviously there's I'm sure there been plenty with 60 people, but as you've scaled, just something super practical that you can share with the listeners. There was a moment where I had a really good QA person working with me and, She'd been working with me for a couple of years and she, you know, 20, 30 hours a week, she had a nine to five job. And she came to me and said, uh, you know, Jay, I, I would, I want to keep working with you, but they're getting ready to offer me this big promotion at work. And she said, but I want to come work for you. And I didn't have any kind of full-time employees at that point. Um, and it was a big, you know, it was a decent price tag. I mean, it was a hundred plus thousand dollar a year engagement that I was going to have to take out of my pocket to pay somebody to kind of work for me. And it was by far the best decision I've ever made running this business was to bring her in as my COO. She's still my COO today. Her name's Autumn. She lives over in Ohio. Um, the, her ability to take over operations and run that was a was almost as important as starting the business. I mean, it's, yeah. and I talked about it a little bit earlier, like the operations layer. It is massive to be able to hand off actual work to somebody else that doesn't need to be, you know, completely prepared and like spend all your time getting it ready. I, she, you know, we have a very clear process now. So that was the moment, uh, taking the leap to, to eat some initial money and profit, um, right. hoping that long-term it would work out. And she's been my right hand for years now and has just helped this business in immense ways. 
Yeah. That's incredible. What do you think in that moment gave you, I guess, the push? I mean, six-figure salary, uh, obviously a very qualified individual. There could have been ego there of like, you know, I don't want somebody as good as me. Like so many reasons why uh, someone listening today may have made a different decision in the past or maybe, you know, in the future. So I'm trying to keep them from making maybe a bad decision. <laughs> How in that moment, what were you thinking? Like, oh, this is a lot of money. And, you know, it was a lot of money. Um, I, but I think I just realized something I did realize early on. I mean, I, I must have interviewed a thousand plus people over the last few years just to work for me and, and work with me. But if you talk to enough people and you work with enough people, you identify really good people and you don't want to, you don't want to do business without them. Right. Like I, if I would have tried to do business without her, growth would have stagnated. I would have been stuck in the same spot. So it's, it's really trusting your own ability to find people that you can work with really well, that you know that do a good job and can prove a good job. And conversely, I've learned first impressions in business are rarely wrong. If you if somebody screws up out of negligence or out of, you know, not being fully honest at some point and you try to give them another shot, I can almost guarantee you it's going to happen again. And I've learned that lesson, you know, a couple times in business. Um, but you know, the, the good ones that prove themselves that, that are just, you know, ride or die, that are going to be there when you need them, that are going to go the extra mile. Um, you gotta, you gotta develop that knack of, of really understanding people. Um, and, and that was what, that was what gave me the push was I knew she was great and I knew the work she'd put in with me. Um, and I knew that, that she was going to keep doing that. So I think it was just being really confident in my, my own ability to, to gauge people and to, um, you know, to, to trust her, right. It was to let go of that, you know, some, some of that control, like you said. Yeah. How, like, I mean, you know, this is your first major hire and you went straight for the jugular, the, the top, you know, <laughs> top position in your company. Um, how think, walk us through that, that philosophy rather than thinking, well, no, I'll wait on this. I'll let her get this promotion. I'll go find somebody that can be entry level and kind of just take a couple of things from me. I'll keep doing this. Why did you go that way, top down as opposed to bottom up? I I had some contractors already that were, you know, kind of working with us and for us, but she was she was special and I I think I again I just I realized how special she was and I realized I mean and, and nobody had ever really shown me that level of kind of trust or dedication before. So it was it was reciprocating that appreciation, like she appreciated who I was and what I was doing and kind of believed in me. And, um, she deserved and still deserves a seat at that table where it's like, if you, you know, you prove yourself, uh, trustworthy and that you can, that you have the fire that I have, that you're, you're going to be there and you're going to, I mean, that 99% of the job is showing up. I mean, if you don't, I can't tell you how many times I've just blown somebody off who didn't show up like you're not going to get a second call or a second interview like just if you don't show up to something especially in clients clients are going to care if you just if you don't deliver something or you don't you know come to a meeting you're saying like they don't care it's, it's you got to show up so I, I think it was the fact that i knew she was she was going to show up and be a um you know a delivery based person uh which is really important to me at the time and i knew I had somebody good and I think that's why I just, and that's, she was pushing for that too. She's very ambitious. She wanted that role and she wanted to be a seat at the table and she wanted to be at the CEO level. And I said, you know what you've earned. Yeah. One last piece here on this before we move on. Um, 
what's one thing that the listener can be looking for, watching for? You've kind of given some like, you know, showing up, uh, you know, obviously skill set. What's one thing that they can be looking for? You just referenced like her ambition, her desire to be at the table. What is that like? How does that look different as opposed to just somebody who wants more money and is a little bit more transactional? And once they get the piece, they kind of just end up moving on anyway because they weren't really there for your, your the seat at the table. Like, how did you know the difference and what can they be looking for? That's a great question. I think the, I think it comes down to, um, every interaction has to feel right. And you have to see that, um, you have to see the, them put in that extra effort. You have to see, cause like you said, some people are transactional and that's fine. Some people just want to come to work and they want to, you know, I have plenty of contractors that they just, they want to work their hours. They want to be done and they're out. But if you see the people who are trying to, to, punch upward and trying to get further up. Like those aren't everybody. Like every, right. a lot of people can say that, but there's not, everybody does not try to be a C-level executive, which is like wild for a C-level executive. Like everybody thinks like, we're like, Oh yeah. Like everybody wants to do it. But like, there's lots of people that don't, there's lots of people that don't want to run a business. A lot of people don't want to be an entrepreneur. A lot of people don't want to be a you know chief operating officer. There's a lot of people that would just much rather Go in, punch their you know card, and and go home. So uh, I think it's just recognizing the people that have that motivation and that ambition. Because like you said, uh, a lot of people have a lot of talk, but it's have they shown up? Have they really been there when you need them? And if they do, then you got to trust and and reciprocate and appreciate these people. I think that's why people work for me is because I try really hard to treat them like human beings. And if they're putting in work, you know, I mean, all I have is money right? Like it's all I can give people. I mean, I give them my, my, my love and my respect and my time, but beyond that it's money. So you have to, you know, pay people, right. Give people bonuses when they show up and when they do what they're supposed to be doing and they go above and beyond, um, and just, just treat them like human beings. And, um, so yeah, to answer your question, I think it's, it's, you got to identify those people that have that spark, who have that real drive to go up because everybody doesn't have that. Yeah. I think it's probably one of the most powerful things that you've said. You've said a lot of powerful things, but the fact that that's not everybody that, that push that, that kind of like constant, like they're pushing up against even you, even almost getting you out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> that can feel wrong to uh, an entrepreneur that has a big ego and they, and that, and that'll be pushed down. Um, but that is a glorious thing, what you're talking about of just recognizing that and then being able to go, okay, wow, let's see what this person does with this. Um, right. Oftentimes they don't disappoint because they're, like you said, they're not like everybody else. Tell us, Jay, about a bad decision that you made. Something, uh, again, practical that you did that just wasn't a, your best hour that we can learn from. Trying to do too much, um, too many clients, too many deliverables. There was a client that we had uh, some CRM application that you know, it was a pretty good client at the time. And it was it was great for, for back then. And I was running five or six contracts at the same time. I didn't give, you know, whatever release that was supposed to go out enough attention because I was actually doing the QA work back then. Of course, the one thing that you miss is going to be the one thing that the client goes to do and she went to do it. Her client went to use it. It broke the whole system. And, you know, I still remember the feeling of, you know, she actually says to me on the call, the CEO of the company, she said, uh, this isn't, this isn't, uh, you know, goodbye. It's just, uh, you know, it's, we're going to take a break for now. And I'm like, Oh God, that is just, I felt, I mean, I felt like I was getting broken up again. You know, I was like 14 again, like getting, <laughs> losing a girlfriend. Like it was, it was yeah. very devastating, but that stuck with me. Um, 
and I try to use that motivation with my guys and say like, look, we have got to, you know, cross every T um, because the, like I said, the one thing that you overlook is going to be the one thing that your client finds. So it was, it was really just, it was burnout. It was trying to do too much at the same time. That was before I brought on really, you know, enough contractors to help me. Um, yeah. But it was, it was trying to, to, you know, be everything for everybody, which, you know, you gotta, you gotta know your role. Yeah. Yeah. There's two pieces here and it sounds like you you did maybe a mixture of both. So I want to kind of dissect this a little bit. Uh, cause I've also been in this position where, where there's just, Oh geez, uh, a lot going on here. Um, and, and I feel like there's really two ways to handle it. You either retract backwards, which is someone fires you <laughs> or you let a client go or two. Um, and you kind of just reshore up what you have, or you have to go higher, which can potentially be even more messy for a period of time. But then of course things stabilize. It sounds like you've done a little bit of both. Would, what would you say to the listener uh, is maybe a better way or, or maybe a way that you uh, did it more detailed? Hire contractors as soon as you think you need help would be my advice. Um, don't wait, meaning? No, don't wait. Try to find the things that somebody else can do for you. It's all about buying back your time. If there's any message for any of this stuff, it's just buy back your time, man. Buy it back on the day-to-day basis, on the operations side, on the like whatever you can do to buy back your time to do the more important things, do it. So, yes, I mean, it is 100% hire and especially contractors, right? I mean, W there's a million, we're working, we live in a remote world now. It was even more, it's easier now than it was 10 years ago when I was doing this. If you hire somebody, 1099 contractor that can do the work that you want to do, you don't have to go in this big investment of hiring these W and two employees all the time. Now, yes, there's certain scenarios where that makes sense, but yep. 1099 somebody, bring somebody in that can help take the load off your plate 10, 15, 20 hours a week, regardless of what the task is. If it's doing the actual work that you're doing, or if it's administrative stuff that you have to do or operation stuff, like waiting to do that too long um, is one of the bigger, and it just, it's, it's, it's easy to do. It's easy to wait, but I would, I would say, you know, um, don't slow down by, you know, losing clients or by not accepting jobs or by doing whatever, like you're just shooting yourself in the foot. Like, why would you ever do that when, if you just do the math, hire somebody for cheaper, get a new client and just kind of rinse and repeat. Yeah. I think what, uh, what could be helpful for the listener here, almost like a word picture that I I've used several times. I I've owned many uh, edible arrangements franchises over the years and we've got big times of the year, Valentine's day being one of them where we'll do just thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of strawberries. And, and it gets crazy because everybody wants them on the same day and they're fresh fruit and we can't dip them, you know, two weeks in advance and freeze them or anything. So we have, you know, just tons of people. I had seven locations at one point, 500 plus temporary workers over a four day period, like just logistically a nightmare. But as I've gone through uh, that process of developing you know, this thing over a four day period and being able to, you know, have this machine move forward, uh, this word picture of like, you got to be like in it, but then like, you got to come up above and be able to watch what's happening. Right. And then you got to go back down. <laughs> right. But if you stay down for too long. Um, you, you're not paying attention to all the moving pieces of the machine. And this is how business works. This is not just a holiday at edible arrangements. In essence, what Jay has given to you guys right now is if you stay down too long, then you're going to miss the opportunity to hire the contractor because you're in it for too long. Um, and so you gotta, you gotta pop back up on a regular basis. You don't pop up for very long. Typically when it's in the early stages like that, you, you pop up, you take a look around, you make sure if you need to make any adjustments, hire a contractor like Jay's talking about, and then you go back down. Um, but you've got to be able to know how to come up and down into the vision because otherwise you're going to get smacked in the face 
with a lost contract or a whatever because you're down in the weeds and not paying attention enough. Now you can't you can't do the opposite. You can't go up here all the time, right? Because then you have you know not enough work or something's happening down below in the operations and you're not paying attention. And then you're losing all your money because I've got people standing there and no, no strawberries to skewer or whatever the situation. Right. So um, <clears throat> I think that what you gave is really, really powerful because we're always get stuck. Like, oh my gosh, do I know? I don't know. I'll just take care of it, you know? But it's, it's stagnating growth. Even though you're accepting it and, and quote unquote doing more, what Jay's telling to you guys is like, you're just going to cut yourself off eventually because you're, you're, you're not growing ahead. You're not, you're not keeping your head up. Would you like yep. to add anything to this, Jay? No, I think you summed it up pretty well it's it's uh and eventually like you said you do have the opposite problem where you if you stay up too long and you're not at least tied in with your organization you don't have to be in every project you don't have to be you know i don't know what the day-to-day stuff of some of my guys is, and that's fine but i know the general status of all the projects and we have you know sync and, and those the managers of those projects and i talk on a regular basis so we there is a you know, a nice little cascade of information that comes up and down from those projects. But uh, I think your point is great of, of um, you know, dipping your head down every now and again after you've kind of gotten out of that cycle. Um, but certainly, you know, hire, hire people before and hire assistants before you think you need them. Yeah, that's a big one. It's a big one because we think we can do it. <laughs> you think you can do everything. I mean, you can, but you can't, you, right? You can. That's right. You can. And that's the problem. <laughs> you can't. You can do it all and, then you, do and it. then you can't. Yeah. And then you can't, which is, which is tough. I had a guy, tell me what you think about this. I had a guy on the podcast, I don't know, maybe six months or so ago. And we were the same vein here. Like, yeah, you can do all things. And he's like, yeah, here's the, here's the problem is that you might be capable, but you doing all the things at the same time, if you're just being honest with yourself, looking at yourself in the mirror, you're act, you can't be a hundred percent at all of them. So you got four, five, six, eight, nine, ten 10 things going on. And you're, you know, 25% on all of them at best. And so you hire the one person to do that one thing. And even though they might be 80% and you're thinking, oh, they're not as good as me. It's like, well, no, no, no. <laughs> Their eighty percent compared to your twenty five percent is a way better deal. Yes, um, I, I'd be curious. I talk, your did we talk to the same person recently? I feel like I heard that story recently. I, I Maybe, know. yeah. I'll I have to figure out. But yes, that's that's exactly the same thing I heard. Yes, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, if you you're not, there's no way that you're going to do as good a job as somebody that you bring on. And even if, and like I said, even if they're not as as high level as maybe you would be doing sitting down there, but you can be off right. doing 15 other things. Like that's the, that's the whole thing is buying your time back. Yeah. yeah. It's good. Um, tell us about a business resource, maybe a book, maybe a podcast, maybe an event that you've been to something that you've invested time and money and effort into that's uh, been beneficial that we can go uh, check out. I've got two, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah. The, the Collision Conference in Toronto, I visited for the first time last month, and that was mind-blowingly fantastic. Uh, there's 36,000 people there. Oh. I mean, all sorts of tech and product, and all. it was it was an incredible resource, and uh, I, I would highly recommend people check that out. As far as books go, um, Fanatical Prospecting by Jeb Blount is probably great just, book. I mean, even if you're not going to sit down and call like cold call people, just the... Yeah. Just the theory behind, like, yeah, you know, nobody's gonna sell your business for you. Like, they're not, you know, and even if you, even if you hire salespeople, like, you still have to be so tuned in to like getting new business, and it's like such a big deal. Um, and that was just one of those like, you know, something clicked when I, I, I don't know, I'm an audible guy. Like, I don't even, oh, I, yeah. I, I love to like do other stuff and listen to books, but um, yeah, I th- that was a huge one for me. Yeah, I've got to echo that. A lot of the books that have been recommended on the show, I have read. But that one, I have read many, many, many times. One of my favorites, probably in the top five, 
Um, Jeb does an incredible job, especially for your industry where there's just l- much larger tickets, m- much more enterprise clients. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he does an in- incredible job of describing what that um, sales journey looks like. Um, and fanatical prospecting. I love the word fanatical, uh, intense, you know, whatever it is, because that's, that's like, let's just be honest. That's what it is. Um, and if you're not like that, you're probably not, uh, not going to be successful or not yeah. for very long, at least. So yeah, you're not crushing it. If you're, if you're like mundanely trying to get <laughs> prospects, you know, like, it's, yeah, it's a very good word. I imagined, I imagined one of your guys coming in saying, yeah, yeah, I'm going to mundanely, uh, send out some uh, prospecting uh, emails and yeah, Monday. You're out of here, buddy. <laughs> you're out of here, buddy. We need fanatics only. Uh, yeah, which fits yeah. which fits a Philadelphia fanatic. You know the Philly fanatic. So that's that fits there you very go. well. There you go. Um, I want to question, or I have a question about family. You've got a big family. We talked about that a minute ago, but I'm I'm a big big fan of the word obsession. Um, I, I don't like the word balance at all. In fact, I don't even think it exists. So um, you know how to obsess in your business. That's why you that's why you've been successful. Tell us how you've obsessed over your wife and over your kids at the same time, because I believe it's possible. It's a great question and great point. Yes, it is possible. I have always, it's, it sounds cliche, but I've always put them first. Like I can't tell you how many meetings or podcasts or whatever I've put off or rescheduled or changed or whatever. So I can go, you know, help my wife do something or go to a kid's event. Like I don't live my life for the business, but I never have. Even when I was in nine to five, like I never really, I never really cared. Like it was never something where it was, you know, if my wife needed me, I was there. If I had to be for my kids, you know, whatever doctor's appointment or for a field day or whatever, like I'm going to be there. Like it's never been a question for me. And it's funny because I'm sure maybe you can relate with this and some of your audience is like, you know, uh, significant others can get a little too used to that and they can assume that you have a lot more time and it almost becomes a problem with, you know, how much you have to work when like in reality, you're not working nearly as much as anybody else on planet earth. So it is an interesting, you know, I'm not going to call it a problem, but it's an interesting situation you get yourself in where the people in your life, like my daughter's seven years old, my son's 10 years old, like they haven't been away, like physically more than like a mile from me. Like in the, you know, like I'm always around, like I'm, I've worked from home, I've done whatever. So, uh, yeah, yeah I mean to say that I obsess is like, you know, I mean, I'm up every morning doing breakfast, doing whatever, like I'm here, you know, th- this week they're going to camp, but when they get back, you know, four o'clock onward, you know, dad's going to be. And so it's, right. if I'm not in this office working and even if I am, you know, they'll stroll in and, you know, I'll do my little song and dance, you know, to pretend like it's not a big deal with the person on the phone or the client that I'm talking to. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just constantly making sure that things are okay and things are like level in my house. And then everything else comes after that. Cause I mean, money making, as you know, like making money is not hard, right? Like you can make money by working, whenever. And you're, and somebody said something the other day that really stuck with me. It's like, you know, your, your bosses and your employees are not going to remember in five years that night or those nights that you stayed up late. Your kids right. are going to remember that you missed whatever because you weren't there because you were working. Right. And that yeah. just hit me. And I was like, you know what, that's, and being where your feet are, you know, it's a, a cliche phrase too, but like, I really yeah. try to do that with them and, and you know, put the phone down, put work down and just like, 
you know, it doesn't matter if it's two in the afternoon or two in the morning. Like I'm, I'm going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. You said it, um, pretty quietly, but in essence, because you give the time, um, and even sometimes, uh, not, not to say that it's not appreciated, but it's maybe expected. Um, because I feel the same way, especially if you work from home, um, the, the availability of my human, um, is, is sometimes like, wait a second, you're, I'm here, but I'm, but I may not be all the way here all the time, you know? (laughs) Um, but what you said underneath that was that, okay, well, but during my work time, whenever that is throughout your process of making sure that uh, things are, uh, uh, even at home, you're all in, you're, you're, you're there. And so that way you can give the time and maybe it means you work a little harder or you're more focused or you're more intense and you got to go, you know, run harder. Um, you know, but you're not going to sacrifice the, the, uh, the obsession over here. And so I appreciate uh, that, that, that word picture that you gave to us. I got one last question here for you, Jay. I got to know if you had the opportunity to go back in time and whisper in the younger Jay's ear, what would you say? Go hire people. <laughs> That's what I would say. I would say go hire people. And at the time I'd probably like, what the hell are you talking about? But, um, Again, man, it's 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 buying your time back, and you only have so much of it in a day. Go hire people, let go of the control, and take the risks that are associated with hiring people. Yeah. Ten ninety nine contractors are not a big risk, by the way. You can you can try them out. They don't work. Send them on their way. But if they do work, and you find somebody that's making twenty five dollars for every hour they're working, like I found back then, right. would have been life changing. Right. So that's the number one thing I would tell everybody is don't be afraid to hire somebody to help. And it, it does with everything. Like it's, maybe it's a painter for your bedroom or for like, a, you know, doing some of that. Like, yes, it's great to do some of that stuff and like be hands on and do whatever. But like yeah. the amount of time you're spending, like going to change an outlet in your you know office or something is probably going to take you six hours. And like how much <laughs> other stuff could you do in six? You know what I mean? Like and if it's, yeah. as handy as you can be. Like there's stuff that you should just have somebody else do and like, you know, landscaping, like, like, yes, again, be hands on, but like hire people in life to do things that free you up to spend time with your family and your business. Yeah. Love it, man. You've, you've dropped some, uh, some amazing stuff here today. How can the listener find you? Number one, if they have a company where they're working on software projects and they need testers or, uh, your business, how can they find you? But then also if they're just an entrepreneur, they want to find you. They want to talk to you. JDAQA.com. Uh, they can find me for any testing needs. My calendar is also in there. Anybody's feel free to, to book a time. LinkedIn, huge LinkedIn guy, uh, or Jay at jdaqa.com. Feel free to reach out. I love uh, helping anybody I can. So uh, appreciate your time today, Chaz. You're awesome. Yeah, I appreciate that as well. We wish you blessings and uh, on your family, of course, with the new one coming, it sounds like. All those cool things that uh, you guys are putting your hands to here this year. Uh, thanks for being here, brother. Thanks, Chaz. <laughs>